Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Future Classics. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me on this lovely evening, Nicole Davis, how are you? Uh, not too bad for having been up at three o'clock this morning. And um, in honor of how our heroine spent most of this movie, I will be podcasting without pants. There you go. Don't worry, people. It's not like that. She was a frog. So, uh, David Luzader, how are you? Uh, I am doing well. Also, in honor of our protagonist for this film, I turned myself into a frog. Perfect. That actually, it was unrelated to this movie. It just happened to sync up. It happens. It happens. Well, we you watched a movie. Yeah. He's wearing a green shirt about somebody turned into a frog. But before we get into any of that, next week is Around the World Week. That means one of us gets to pick a film that was not uh, made here in the United States of the USA. Wait, United States of the USA. The United States of the United States of America. David, what are we watching? It's your pick. Yes, well, uh, lots of movies I want to throw into this category, but there's one movie in particular that uh, I saw was streaming and thought we had to do it because, Brett, I made a mission for some of my picks to show you great martial arts films that I know you have not seen. We have seen a few of those now, and so I kind of want to stay in that arena but expand a little bit because we haven't done a Stephen Chow film yet. (gasps) And currently (laughs) streaming on Netflix is Kung Fu Hustle, uh, which we will be watching for next week's show. Yay! Haven't seen it. Looking forward to it. Right on. Well, Kung Fu Hustle, and at the time of us recording in June, it's on Netflix. So yes, it's a, a comedy martial arts film. So yes. it'll be fun. I'm excited. Yes. All right. Very good. Well, again, this week is Future Classics. That means one of us gets to pick a film that we believe in some capacity either broadly in the scope of cinema or niche, like attack the block or all the other niche things we've had in this category uh, is going to be a classic in some way, shape or form. And mine's a tough argument this week. I know I got my work cut out for me, but I am going to attempt to make this argument It is a 2009 animated Disney movie, the princess and the frog. Uh, hardworking and ambitious, Tiana dreams of one day opening the finest restaurant in New Orleans. Her dream takes a slight detour when she meets Prince Naveen, who has been turned into a frog by the evil Dr. Facilier. Mistaking her for a princess and hoping to break the spell, Naveen plants a kiss on poor Tiana, thereby turning her into a frog as well. The pair hop along on an adventure through the bayou to seek the help of a powerful voodoo priestess. So... This movie has its issues. We're going to get into a great deal of them. But I will say at the very top to very blanketly why I think this is a classic is I think that this is a movie that the vast majority of people have not seen. It's not like Disney movies surrounding it both before and after where it became part of the cultural lexicon of of animated movies like almost everything else Disney has made. It's just one of those 
diamonds in the rough, I think, for them. And I think the fact that it was our first African-American Disney princess, that it takes place in a very interesting, very authentically American setting, rather than pulling, you know, European princess influence off in a castle, a la Cinderella or whatever. I think all of that feeds into this being a very unique entry in Disney's catalog of animated princess films. And also, I think it holds a special place of being one of the final films that Disney made to have hand-drawn animation in it. Uh, And also, I just have a really soft spot for a lot of the New Orleans and Cajun styles and music that this jam packs into this movie, which I think is really cool. It gives young kids an opportunity to be exposed to that stuff, which otherwise they might not be at all, especially if you're just not from that area of the country or not very familiar with Creole culture or New Orleans. Again, it has its issues, but I think in the capacity of Disney Plus on the horizon, people being able to watch all the Disney content short of Song of the South that they want to their heart's content, I think it'll be rediscovered, and I think kids will enjoy it, perhaps enough to make it be looked at as a classic film in Disney's repertoire many years down the line. So that's my little soapbox at the beginning here. But let's get into this this right away. Uh, Neither of you had seen this before, correct? I had not seen the whole thing, no. I'd seen bits of it and clips and all that jazz, but not the whole thing. Uh, I had not seen any of it. Now, had you heard of it? (laughs) Oh, yes. Okay. You had heard. In fact, David, you had you had thoughts before you even watched the movie, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I mean, I was I was just going to kind of be a little bit of a, uh, you know, just kind of some kind-hearted ribbing on the film. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, but considering Nicole's stance, I think uh, I'm just going to sit back and let this play out, however it's going to play out. Woo! Oh yeah, did we get some slack messages? No, Nicole brings up some very good points, and I definitely want to talk about all those. So let's actually dive into some of the meat of this right now um i want to talk about the movie as it was getting made and then we'll start talking about the movie and its reception uh the new york times did an article and there's a quote that i thought was interesting disney often gets criticized no matter how carefully it strives to put together its television shows theme park attractions and movies for years disney was lambasted by some parents for not having a black princess now some of those same voices are taking aim at the company without seeing the finished product this was during a time where the princess and the frog was being made and disney couldn't seem to step and not step on somebody's toes uh when they were in pre-production of this movie and I think they did a pretty good job navigating that for the most part, but it also seems like you just can't please everybody. And I know that there's parts of this movie that just don't please everybody. No, and that's, it's going to be impossible to. Yeah, I mean, Disney's, Disney's audience is simply too big to be able Mm -hmm. to please every part of it 100%. Right. Yeah. You're going to have people, no matter what, are going to have issues with it. I mean, if you really want a story of Disney dealing with uh, with opposition, watch. There's a great series on YouTube called Defunct Land. And he has, a, I believe it's a two-parter on Disney's America, which was a theme park they were going to open up uh, in in Northern Virginia. So actually fairly close to where I live. That was going to be, you know, instead of being like, uh, here's rides and all this, like it was going to be very much themed around American history and just the stuff they did 
what they came under criticism for, how they tried to change it. It is actually really fascinating. We like to think of Disney as this monolith. Some people like to think of him as like a you know mustache twirling mouse, <laughs> uh, but there is a lot going on at, at Disney at all times. And I and I will say they are getting better at working with people of color of trying to make stories for people who are not just white you know they they are taking steps and i will say that i think this movie for its flaws was probably kind of the beginning of that really being at the forefront i think so because i think your only other princess of color if we're going to narrow it to just princesses I mean, I guess there's a couple technically, if you want to look at, um, I guess Jasmine, of course, is a princess of color animated. Um, yeah. I suppose if you want to consider Mulan and... No. No? <laughs> well, hold on. Are we talking about the the official Disney princesses? Because Mulan is, in fact, one of them. Right. That's what I mean. I'm talking less... I'm using Disney princess almost as a as an umbrella for female heroines. Um, so, peop- so there is actually... <laughs> God, let's discuss this. There is actually a <laughs> distinction of official Disney princesses. Right. And yes, like you can also, you know, people are like, ah, the the alien queen is now a Disney princess. Like, well, that's not really <laughs> how like, just if you're a female under Disney does not make Love you it. a Disney princess. With the Fox acquisition for context. Uh, yeah. Right. For, Pocahontas for, is not a princess. Yeah, actually she is. Under uh, Disney princess rules, she here is, are, right. Here are the official Disney princesses. We will just love uh, it out now. They are Snow White, Cinderella, Aurora, Ariel, Belle, Jasmine, Pocahontas, Mulan, Tiana, Rapunzel, Merida, and Moana. I don't know, like four of those, but okay. So that gives us a baseline here. They're not all like royalty of princesses. It seems to be more of if you're just kind of the heroine of a story, I guess. Or like the the daughter of the leader of your tribe or what have you yeah that's kind of the joke in moana right it's like i'm not a princess it's like you're the daughter of the chieftain you have like a pet sidekick you're you're a princess princess. (laughs) um yeah so i think this was the first one where i i get i mean i'm trying to figure out how i want to place this because yes they had had princesses of color in the disney princess universe but this seemed to be right. It's like the MCU. It's its whole thing. They're all going to get together in one giant movie. Well, uh, technically, <laughs> right. But they it were seems all like Ralph breaks the internet. Yes, right. But it seems like that this was the first time that Disney sat down and said, not only should we have an African American princess, but we need to put her in an African American setting. Uh, in in America in the early 1900s in New Orleans, surrounded by Creole and African American culture in the South, and um, they went through great lengths to research that and try to produce that in this movie to varying degrees of success. But it seems to be the first time they really sat down and said, "Like this is the mission of this movie," and I don't think it, it was the mission of Aladdin or Pocahontas to effectively. <laughs> and accurately try to pinpoint those points in time for those particular people. No, because, because Aladdin is pulling off of myth. Aladdin, you That's can, a good point, yeah. Aladdin, you can forgive a lot more because it's, it's dealing with abstractions, where Pocahontas is dealing with a very specific point in time. And oh boy, could they have handled that a whole lot better. <laughs> yeah, oh well, the very boy. fact that Pocahontas wasn't like 13 years old is already a huge historical cheat. So Yeah, right. Well, the story I love is that Pocahontas was considered the A-list Disney film at the time that it was coming out. And everybody really? was 
everybody else got to work on the B-list film, which was a little movie called um, The Lion King. Ha! I uh, love it. So that that just tells you how that worked out. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I. I so so I guess what I'm getting at here is let's dig into some of the the faux pas and where they misstep. Nicole outlined some of us, some of them for us here. Um, when they were creating New Orleans, and again, this is turn of the century New Orleans. Um, it's like 1920s New Orleans. Kinda. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So okay. So 20s. Uh, there, there are some missteps in regard to the stereotypes. I think Nicole put several in here. There's not one, but two magical Negroes. Um, yeah. There is voodoo as a monolithic magic focused belief system. And also there are poor swamp picks and the Latin lover. Now you are right on all four of these counts. <laughs> I, I guess my response is like, isn't that kind of every Disney movie? <laughs> well, so, okay. So, I, so I've been thinking about this. I, I haven't thinking about this because I think that yes, animated movies do fall to stereotypes. A lot of the, you know, you're, you're painting characters in broad strokes I think the reason why it sticks out maybe a little bit more for this movie is because we're dealing with a race of people in a culture that has been painted negatively in broad strokes uh, in in portrayal of media and, and such. So I think it, it sticks out a little bit more. But I do also agree to a, a very certain extent that animated films are, are just going to fall to broad caricatures because they are for little kids. It happens. From, from I mean, my, I mean, from my I, I have not seen it, but to my understanding, Coco probably handles that better. Well, Coco is a wonderful yeah. film. Coco should have won Best Picture. I want to make okay. sure that's fair <laughs> so. So <laughs> that'll but, that'll come around, I'm sure. Yeah. And and I think I think Nicole, I want to talk about each of these, but the Voodoo one I immediately found interesting because Voodoo is one of those things where white people just don't get it. Right? Like, um, no, they they don't. I mean, it's not. It's number one. It's religious. Right. Yes. Yes. It's right. religious. It, it's almost there like how white people some magical aspects involved uh, in beliefs that, like the spirits or the the uh, the loas that you that you worship can help you in your life. Um, given certain conditions but it's you know they're derived from various african religions when you know these people were dragged over here and uh you know tried to incorporate their religious practice into their lives and it got tainted by uh christianity where people came in to try to convert you know the slaves and former slaves to christianity and they incorporated some of the practices, but they didn't get the infrastructure to kind of keep it up right away. So things got sort of muddled and, you know, there are various branches of voodoo. You know, there's Louisiana voodoo. There is regular voodoo. There is hoodoo, which is actually distinct from voodoo. There is also that voodoo that that you do. Sure. Of course. So well, (laughs) um, but I mean, not to, you know, not to make light of people's religious practices here, you know, I mean, there is, there, there is, there are some magical components involved. So, I mean, they're not wrong. And they do try to show that this is 
uh, that these practices could roughly be regarded as neutral and they can be used for good and they can be used for evil purposes. You know, you have Mama Odie to counterbalance um, uh, Dr. Facilier. The Shadow, the Shadow Man. The Shadow, the Shadow man. man. They don't even call him his name throughout the movie. It's just on his tombstone later it's on. It's mostly the Shadow Man. Mostly yeah, the Shadow he's, Man. He's dressed like a a uh, the voodoo loa of the dead, um, Baron mm-hmm. Samadhi, who's frequently portrayed as having, you know, like a, a suit and a top hat and... Right. Uh, the skull mask is sometimes used to indicate, um, you know, his association with death, and you know, you can you can see that also in uh, I believe "Live and Let Die" has a, a an allu- allusion to that. Um, but I I, oh, it, I just... it still runs. You know, it the outfit sort of. D- Teeters on the border between Baron Samedi and Voodoo Pimp. It does. Right. <laughs> it does. I just want to make a quick aside. My niece saw this movie when she was really young, probably would have been around like four or five years old. Yeah. Uh, and he was so freaked out by oh, Dr. Sure. He's so yeah. scary. He's terrifying. She was like, the man in the mask is going to get me. And I'm like, I'm really glad you're not going to remember this. I um, probably never <laughs> want to watch this movie again for, um, for reasons you don't understand. Uh, yeah. It, um, yeah. It is a, it is a scary character. No, he yeah, is. I mean, the sequence, there's two sequences. There's the, the song with, you know, friends on the other side, which is the best musical number in the movie. I would assert, but like near the end of it, there's a lot of imagery that's very frightening um, for young children. And then there's, you know, what happens to Dr. Facilier in the end. Um, and that's scary for little ones. You know, Disney has no qualms about scaring the crap out of no. five and six year olds. No, go watch. Go watch Hunchback of Notre Dame if you want to <laughs> oh watch goodness. somebody that die. Is, that fire. movie is not for little kids no it really is not and and i think there's two things i want to respond here the first one is i think there's another scene that's also kind of distressing um and I, even as an adult i'm like that's kind of creepy is when uh the shadow man is he has lost the blood of the prince which he needs in order to have it one you know his little henchman imitate the prince and uh he has to get his friends on the other side to go and find the prince, find Naveen. And they all turn into these shadows and just start, you know, blanketing New Orleans and going across the water of the bayou and going through the French Quarter. And they're creepy. They're really creepy. Uh, the <laughs> yeah. other the other thing I would say is that I think the issue that we're seeing here with uh, voodoo and this movie and Disney's penchant to just make it like, ooh, it's magical and fun. Two things. First of all, we talked about this a little bit with uh, a previous episode we did. Um, Rastafarianism is also misinterpreted a lot of the time. That's another one. Uh, they're actually very mm-hmm. close. They're, they're ge- geographically very close. <laughs> um, and that's one where it's like, they get high, right? And voodoo's like, they do magic. And uh, the other thing I will say is that it also deepens that confusion when you walk through the French Quarter and you walk through Bourbon Street, and I'm saying those two in particular because those are the tourist attractions of New Orleans, and you walk into shops that are like this. You walk into shops that 
that hawk voodoo as a very magic, mystical, touristy thing, which can help, well, not help, but it, it assists in perpetuating this stereotype of, of what it is. Oh, yeah. No, I totally get it. I live in Salem, Massachusetts. And there are a <laughs> sure. lot of little shops that cater to tourists that have little witches with pointy hats on brooms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the actual Wiccans who live in town are just kind of like, oh, the tourist money, it's fine. <laughs> right. Now... One thing but I do—it's not an accurate portrayal of their actual religious practices. Exactly, right. that's another really good one. I didn't think of that. So, one thing I think this movie did interesting, and, I, and then we're going to start getting into the actual story of this movie soon. But I think this is important yes. to lay its groundwork. There's um, other stereotypical stuff though going on. There is, and we're going to get to more of that. But when they were making this movie, uh, you know, John Lasseter, who was the executive director of this movie, been around Disney forever. Um, he took a group of animators to New Orleans repeatedly, and they did everything from, you know, reanimating this at the 11th hour because they thought they had the clock on St. Louis, you know, St. Louis Cathedral's wrong. Um, they realized that, uh, you know, certain buildings didn't look exactly the way they should. They talked to countless locals to figure out some of these traditions behind things like the Mardi Gras parade. Um, and they really worked really diligently to try to portray everything from the streetcars and the sounds of the streetcars to, you know, the bells of the cathedral and the buildings in the background to the newspapers that people are reading that are historically accurate to what they would have been reading in New Orleans at that time. Um, This has that Disney love and care and affection for it. And I love that. But they also then bent things a little bit. They did things like... um, what were some of their bends? I actually had a list here. Uh, they put the Mardi Gras parade through the French Quarter because the French Quarter is more visually appealing and interesting than where the Mardi Gras parade actually goes through. Um, they did change the cathedral's bells a little bit. Uh, they changed the skyline of the city because they wanted to show the whole city and the river at the same time, but you can't show the Mississippi River and the skyline together. <sighs> so they did all these slight changes, but also made a really cognizant effort to visit New Orleans, talk to locals, bring locals in on this. You know, David was watching this and he was like, oh, is that John Goodman? It's because John Goodman's from New Orleans. And uh, I really appreciated that about this because, yes, there are stereotypes in abundance, but I'd be darned if that isn't a beautifully animated portrayal of New Orleans. I mean, visually, we're talking about an animated movie. It has to be visually a feast. Right, right. It is. It has to be big and colorful, especially I mean, so if, if it's a Disney movie. You know, there are some dour animated films. I'm looking at you, nine. But <laughs> yeah. it to, well, to, I mean, plus to kids who are now used to computer animated films, you know, they have to make the hand drawn really pop. Yeah, and I, and it's you know we're used to, to to changes being made to stuff all the time. You know, like the the pyramids are nowhere near each other, but yeah. visually, <laughs> whenever we see pyramids in anything, there's you know two or three pyramids all kind of stacked up next to each other. It's just you know I, yeah they they did they did a lot to to make things accurate and get the feel of. It. I think that's more important as they were going for the feel which they captured more so than like, well, it needs, you know, we're making a historical documentary about new Orleans, but it's animated and they're frogs. I don't know. Right. 
Yeah, and I one of my one of the things I love when they're capturing New Orleans is when uh, we see a couple different scenes of Tiana navigating the city. And the one when she's young is the the movie opens up and it's Tiana and her best friend was a Lottie. Um, yes, Lottie. Charlotte is Char- the is the white girl. Um, yes, that, uh, her mother yeah. makes princess dresses for. She's so extra. <laughs> she is. Charlotte apparently has a, a really good source for some super good Bayou cocaine. <laughs> she's apparently. a she's a little basic, and uh, but she she is this you know well to do white friend of Tiana is you know daughter to the 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 big businessman in town played by John Goodman that always becomes the Mardi Gras king which you actually can't do you can't get it more than one year in a row one of the things they bent there a little bit well, um it was 1920s it was different thing things it was the wild west out there I don't oh well um and then tiana and her mother leave cuz tiana's mother is making dresses for for charlotte and um they go back home and you see this transition from the big giant you know sharecropper mansions of the you know the more ornate parts of new orleans into less to do neighborhoods and you see where tiana does live and uh and i think they captured that really well and that's when we we meet tiana's father played by terrence howard for a very short period of time wait before you get to terrence howard i just want to note real quick that here i was impressed i'm like oh this is where Steve McQueen stole from to do that shot in Widows that everybody talks about. <laughs> <laughs> so With Colin Farrell in the car. <laughs> right. So uh, this is when we're introduced to the motivations behind Tiana, which I think are inherently different than that of a lot of Disney princesses. A lot of Disney oh, princesses, yeah. when you look at Cinderella and, you know, Ariel wants to get feet so she can be on land and be a princess and cinderella wants to not clean so she could be a princess and tiana has this deeper connection to her family arguably more so i think than a lot of disney princesses and this connection to her father and we later find out her father passed away sometime in her youth just her and her mom I, throughout I, the- I think it's hinted that he dies in world war one yeah it is very like lightly hinted at correct and uh we find out that he makes this really great gumbo and he was a hell of a cook. And that's what she took from him. That's what she remembers him most about. And he always had this dream of opening up a restaurant in New Orleans so the whole entire city could taste their cooking. And he never had the opportunity to do that, which is why when we're introduced to Tiana as a grown adult, she's working two jobs and she's saving up her coins so she can open up a restaurant and do what her father always set out to do. And that's what I really like about Tiana is that she immediately from the get-go rejects some of these stereotypical trappings. You know, she isn't seeking wealth. She isn't seeking a prince. She isn't seeking um, an easy exit of whatever her hard situation is. Um, I'm not just shitting on Cinderella here, but but you understand what I'm saying. I, I think well, I mean, Cinderella's not looking for the easy way out. She's just looking to not be an indentured servant. Anymore. Fair, fair, very fair. Um, so, but I think that Tiana sets a really interesting uh, stage for a different kind of Disney princess that is a different kind of role model for young girls and, and, and young boys. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, no, she's she's super self-motivated and, you know, big credit for that. But I still, I mentioned this in Slack and I still have to bring it up. 
she bought a building. But <laughs> does she have all of the capital to really get a restaurant off the ground? I need. I know. To when is she going? How is she going to renovate it? Where's the equipment? It is not up to code. Uh, <laughs> I really. I'm going to need to see a business plan here. What? What? What's the five year plan, Tiana? <laughs> I gotta know. Doesn't matter when Oprah is your mother and you can dream all of it into existence because she, <laughs> she has a musical number. She is able to. You get a restaurant and you get a restaurant. <laughs> and, I, and I will say one thing we're talking about the debt. I think a really nice lesson from this movie is, you know, the wishing upon a star. They're playing with some of their own tropes here, right? Mm-hmm. But she goes to wish on a star and, and the dad's encouraging her like, yeah, it's good. Have wishes, but realize the star is not going to bring you what you want. You got to work for it. And I think that's that's a really good message to put out there. I thought so, too. He's like, you know, you go ahead and wish and you have big dreams, but that's only going to get you part of the way. And you've got to do the work to help get yourself there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, so I was talking about this movie with my family and uh, and my soon to be sister-in-law would have been uh six or seven when this came out in 2009 and and she, she age. right she and, and she's also african-american and um she this is her favorite disney movie and it's like i was talking to her about it and you know it's like yeah there's a there's a there's a princess that aligns more with with what she wanted to see as a princess in her youth and she just loved everything about this movie so i got kind of a first hand like i was the right demo and age and everything to love this movie and she did and still does um and i think another really cool thing about this movie and first of all to back up for a minute i just Mm. briefly touched on it oprah's the mom here they brought in oprah as a consultant because they wanted someone who was really like to be entirely fair it sounded like they wanted someone to put them back in step in case they accidentally got racist like that's kind of how i read it (laughs) That's kind of how I read it, they, that she was like their senior African-American correspondent. They they did a lot of consulting with a lot of people. One of the screenplay writers was African-American. You know, there was they they made sure that they had some tweaking done anyway. And oh and boy, Oprah, did they. Her name was not supposed to be Tiana. <laughs> what was it supposed to be? I never. It was supposed to be uh, Manny or something like Maddie. that. Maddie. Maddie, which I sounded think. too yeah, close. Yeah. It was too close Tiana's to. A lot better. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think having Oprah there also gives it a certain weight, right? Sure. You know, as as we as we you know talk about like oh yeah she's she can be your unofficial consultant but also it's the signal to the world of like hey Oprah's on board with this movie. <laughs> Yeah. That's well, true. Yeah. I'm sure I the mean, you know, hurt, self-made but. black female, you know, billionaire. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and she plays the mother beautifully. Oprah does a great job with it, I think. Yes, and um it's a small role. It's a small role, but it's 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 a touching role because when Tiana built, you know, is able to get this or she believes that she's getting this building and she shows up and as David says, it's Needs quite a bit of work, and I'm not quite sure how she's going to pay for that. Um, her mother shows up with her father's gumbo pod, and that's all she needs to get started. And they have the first musical number of the movie, um, which is almost there. Now, Nicole, you put in the docket here, and I think these are some fighting words. Memorable music <laughs> numbers. Where are they? All over. I had this movie stuck um, in my head for a week. I just... None of them had 
None of them had the the grabby, to me, none of them had the grabby catchiness of, say, Under the Sea, you know, where it's this huge production number. It's super memorable. You're going to be humming it to yourself later. The closest I think it gets is, um, you know, Friends on the Other Side, I think. Yeah. I, I... I, I can't speak exactly to how much the, the I, I might throw on the soundtrack. Listen, I like throwing on Disney soundtracks. And I was going to be like, well, you know, it's different now. I'm not a kid anymore, blah, blah, blah. Then I realized I know all of the words to the Tangled soundtrack, <laughs> like yeah. forwards and backwards. And I'm a 30-year-old man. And that movie did not come out that long ago. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, songs from Moana that stuck in my uh, head instantly. Well, Moana, yeah. you have... Lin-Manuel Miranda working on that. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's like that's cheating. cheating. But I mean, yes. you had Randy Newman. Randy Newman writing this, all though. this music, yeah. So, so for me, I, I think Almost There was stuck in my head for a long time. Um, I really do like Ray's song. I think, Nicole, you said you enjoyed that as well, Evangeline. Um, he's yes. singing to a star. And we'll talk, La belle Evangeline. We'll talk about <laughs> Ray a little later on uh, and yeah. the problems he presents. Um, well, and also, so the Evangeline thing I was reading about this is actually also a super deep cut. Really? For, uh, let, me, let me pull it up here uh, just so I... So one of the more subtle Louisiana references is... Ray's love of Angeline. The name refers to the poem Evangeline, a tale of Acadie by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow about an Acadian girl's search for her lost love. The poem is held dear by Louisiana descendants of the Acadians or the Cajun people of French descent that are forcibly relocated during the Canadian war in the mid 1700s. Oh, right on. Didn't know that. Uh, And I want to talk about him in detail a little later on. Um, One thing I do want to mention here, and you can hear me, I'm trying to make like a noise, like getting up Rummaging. on my soapbox. <laughs> I'm getting up on like to rhapsodize on a soapbox, to... but I don't have a wood desk, so it doesn't really work. Uh, it doesn't yeah, work one, as well as glass. One of my glass. favorite podcasts referred to it as checking the fact machine. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, one thing I love about this movie, and this might even jade my view of it a little bit, admittedly, is that as someone who loves New Orleans, someone who loves jazz and loves New Orleans jazz, because very different than normal jazz, uh, I adore that even disneyized as it is even as randy newman as it is and i'll give randy a pass as well because he grew up in new orleans so he knows this stuff really well and he does a great job um kids get to hear new orleans jazz in a movie and randy newman put blues in this there's zydeco influence when they're going through the bayou Mm -hmm. with with the with the alligator it's zydeco music um and then i think above all they get to hear dr john and there is no cooler (laughs) new orleans music maybe there's a couple there, there's top tier new orleans music and dr john who passed away last week uh is is among them and um when he does uh down in new orleans which is randy newman wrote it for him he sings it in this movie at the very beginning and then the movie ends with uh tiana doing it at the end what a song and the fact that that I can talk to someone like my, you know, soon to be sister-in-law and she knows that song and has it on her Spotify playlist. I'm like, I don't even care if you don't really know the significance of that. You're listening to Dr. John and that's all that matters to me. (laughs) And I love that about this movie. They did right by new Orleans music in this movie to me. And that I think was a very important part of this that they could have screwed up. 
get knocked by soapbox. Sorry, go ahead. No, go go ahead, Nicole. All right, I was just going to say, I'm I'm glad Dr. John is in here. I'm glad, I believe, isn't Randy Newman from the New Orleans? Yeah, he grew up there. Area? Okay. Um, You know, I believe, I'm, I'm glad that all this music is representing, you know, the more we go over this and the more I think about it and I look at my notes and everything, it's like, this is one of those cases where this movie is, it's reaching out to me, but it's not for me. Right. I don't, you know, this is, I am not the, I am not the central audience for this. Number one, because I'm too damn old, but (laughs) number two, (laughs) but like I said, I mean, I, I loved Moana. I loved Moana. I loved Coco. Um, you know, but this is this is not aimed at me, mm-hmm. and this is much more. You know, as you were talking about your your future sister in law, you know, this is much more aimed at a different audience, and different people are going to hold this dear for different reasons than I am. So this is yeah. just from where I, you know, middle aged white lady, <laughs> am sitting. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I'll definitely agree with that. And it's it's I think it's kind of unusual. To come to a Disney movie that's not for everyone, right? Well, yeah, yeah, they try to have something for everybody. Right. Good point. And it's not necessarily a bad thing that not everything is not for everyone. It, it can exactly. be a very good thing. Uh, but even thinking of stuff, you know, more modern than we talk about, you know, the movie Frozen, this gigantic juggernaut of a film, wide reaching to, to people. Moana reaches to, to people all across. Like there's something about it that, that is appealing. Uh, just in a, in a very broad sense, but yeah, there's something about this movie that does feel very specific in who it's aiming at. It yeah, was not it was not a box office smash. It, it made money, uh, yeah, but, it, but it, it did very poorly as Disney films. Right, go. as far mm-hmm. as Disney films go, absolutely. It made its budget back. It made the money. You know, Tiana is part of the is part of the. Uh, the zeitgeist of Disney. Yeah. yeah. She uh, appeared in, in Ralph breaks the internet, but yeah, it is just, it's, it's one of the few times where not everyone is going to watch this movie and feel a connection to it. And I think that's okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think no, definitely. there's definitely then a huge part of that is how much I love new Orleans, how much I love this culture and this music and this food. Ooh, some of the food in this movie. <laughs> Uh, so the the solution to everything is just two two dashes of Tabasco and you're good Hot to go. Sauce, that's yeah. right, that's right. Which is a very New Orleans thing with gumbo. Um, one thing I wish they would have done a little bit better. I will knock them a little bit on this with the music. Is that you have Doctor John in there, so it's almost like a Doctor John is to this movie what like Elton is to Lion King. Um, Elton's the only song you hear in that movie that's not like sung by characters or something like that. Um. I would have liked to have seen like, let's double down on this heritage. Let's put trombone shorty in this. Let's put, you know, buckwheat Zydeco as long as we're doing Zydeco music. Um, let's put Alan Toussaint in this movie, um, in the soundtrack. And I think they could have done more with that. But one thing I do think is interesting is that the woman who plays Tiana was the first actress in decades to sing as well as do the vocal um, work for her character. All the other, all the other, you know, Disney princesses preceding her for about 20, 30 years had separate uh, vocalists singing for them. It, it was the first sense beauty and the beast to do so. So that was like yeah. what well, in the early nineties yeah. was like a Broadway actress. Right. Exactly. And she nails a lot of the stuff in here. I think she's great. Um, 
let's talk about some of the hand-drawn animation here. Uh, as you guys said, it was not a, di- a box office success. Um, what originally happened was... Well, I mean, it was it was successful, but not as big as right. Disney movies usually are. Right. right. And, and what happened here was that there was a huge push inside of Disney saying, we need to go back to hand-drawn animation for some projects, because this is an art that we do not want to lose. It's, it's center to Disney as a whole. And um, that got this movie made, and it did okay. And then they decided to make Winnie the Pooh two years later later which did poorly ish (laughs) um and what ended up happening is they said hey we're gonna make one of these every two years and then they got the audience test reactions of the early stuff they were doing with computer animation for frozen and that got scrapped and they no longer decided to do two of those one of them every two years yeah it's i mean it's a tragedy because Hand-drawn animation, I think, has become a little bit of a a signal of like, oh, it's old-fashioned. Uh, it's not, you know, we have beautiful computer animation. We can do all these great things with. And I, I think people should go also look up. Um, there's a collection of Disney short films that was on Netflix last I saw. Uh, I believe it's still there. If not, it'll be on Disney Plus. Whenever that's a thing that shows i think that's where kind of because there's they're always going to make short films and uh i think that's kind of where hand-drawn animation for them is going to kind of be relegated um which is a shame but it is a shame i mean the the, you know the big bastion now of hand-drawn animation is studio ghibli yeah yeah that's a really good point and we actually talked about them last week when we were discussing you know how western and uh and american animated movies kind of had this this split in a way and and when in terms of what their their core you know art styles were and all that good stuff but i mean even even with that i i remember there's what there was a documentary recently where they showed miyazaki it was this whole process of like them showing miyazaki like, yeah. here's a way we can do with computer <laughs> animation what you were doing with hand drawn stuff and and like it apparently it looks spot on it looks exactly as you would expect it to so it's kind of get to a point where we can recreate that feel with computer animation but did you see his response so far miyazaki who keeps like threatening to retire and then coming back out of retirement keeps saying you know screw you we're not you can do that after i'm dead we're doing it this way Well, his response (laughs) his response in that video clip was like no, this no, 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 is... no, 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 no. There, no, there are two different. Th- we're talking about two separate things entirely. Oh, there is one where somebody showed him the zombie video, and he, oh yeah, was that's what very it was. upset about that. But there was one where they made something about a caterpillar, um, which they worked with him on making. It's it's just a short little thing that he was on board for, and it looks like Miyazaki animation. Okay, because I know he said something really aggressive about that first one. Um, yes. Okay, so something this movie does get right, uh, the relationship or the friendship, quote-unquote, uh, between Charlotte and Tiana. Um, so I think we should further flesh out this plot, because we haven't talked as much about it. Because uh, <laughs> there's just so much other stuff to talk about. But 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 essentially what happens is Prince Naveen comes Turn into to frogs. town. They have to find somebody to make them not frogs. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not hard. Um, you know, this prince comes to town and Charlotte is infatuated with him. She always wanted her prince and he's finally here. He gets turned into a frog by the voodoo man. And uh, he has to find somebody to 
take him out of it. He thinks he has to kiss a princess. He thinks Tiana's a princess, kisses Tiana. She's not a princess. They both turn into frogs. Now, I think you put friendship in quotes here very... I did. Very aptly. (laughs) Because Charlotte and Tiana... um, I'm, I, my <laughs> view is that when they're when they're kids, when they're kids, they're friends because they're little, you know, and they haven't they haven't been out in society a whole lot yet, you know, and they haven't there are things that haven't reached them yet. They haven't had these life experiences yet, and when they're older, you know, like during this costume party that Charlotte is helping to throw for Prince Naveen. And Tiana is working at um, Charlotte, you know, the white girl, Charlotte, she believes they're friends. She believes she and Tiana are friends and Tiana knows they aren't. Mm -hmm. She is friendly, but I, the, the way I read it is that Tiana knows that they are not actually friends because that is not how this world works in the 1920s in new orleans yeah no i i absolutely agree with that and i not that i don't think that lottie doesn't care about tiana oh no she, she does. like i said she i think lottie believes that they are friends yeah but when it's like oh i need this thing for my party tonight it's not a question it is like you're going to do this for me Yes. And, and yeah. Tiana has the very realistic expectation of like, well, you're paying me for it. So sure, I'll do it. Uh, part of it is rich girl privilege, but part of it is white privilege. Sure. Too. And yeah, then Tiana's no, making beignets for the party. Um, another yes. you know, New Orleans thing they're throwing in there. I, this movie did desperately make me want beignets. I will say <laughs> <laughs> that um, I do appreciate that Charlotte does have moments where she gets outside of her own sphere of narcissism um you know she she when tiana falls over at, at the party she you know immediately abandons her you know seducing of, of naveen to go take her friend upstairs and give her a beautiful dress and and i, and I thought i thought that was nice and then the other one is when at the end it turns out that she is technically a princess. She is the daughter of the Mardi Gras king until midnight when Mardi Gras is over. She can kiss them and turn them out from being frogs back to humans. And she realizes at the end, like, I'm not going to get my prince. This is not going to work out for me. Tiana's going to get the prince. And there's not jealousy there, which I expected from her character when I first saw this movie. She's like, okay, I get that's, this. That's because Lottie will move on to the next thing. She her, yeah, her the attention span of a mosquito. But wouldn't you expect yeah. her to be jealous? Wouldn't you expect her to be like, "Why would you want Tiana? Look at this, right?" Like that's what I would get from her. No, no, because I, I I have a feeling she has a she has boyfriends and suitors nonstop. Okay, perhaps. Well, in any case, she she, she does. Can, she can get a man. Yeah, <laughs> she does attempt to kiss Prince Naveen as a frog to turn him back into a human. Does not work. It's after midnight, though. But it works when Prince Naveen later kisses Tiana after they're married as frogs because she becomes a princess. After Tiana is willing to give up her whole dream to stay a frog with Prince Naveen because her dream just isn't worth having without a man. (laughs) Wait, wait, hold up. Wait, are you implying that she should have kept trying to open a restaurant as a frog? (laughs) 
Because I think I'm pretty sure there's, uh, you know, I've never, I've never read the rule book about basketball, but I'm pretty sure a dog still can't play. That's hey, what I'm hey to say if an alligator can play jazz in the club, the frog can run it. Um, You're right. I'm, I'm wrong. We haven't even talked about, we haven't even talked about the alligator. Uh, what's his name? Lewis, I think is his name. Yeah, Lewis. Uh, yes. My goodness, Louis. Yeah, so yeah. Louis is this alligator they come across in the in the bayou when they're when they're on their journey to try to figure out how to not be frogs anymore, and um, has just such a deadpan, hilarious comedic scene to me when he recounts to them what happens the last time he tried to play jazz. Uh, he jumps onto a riverboat, tries to play jazz with the jazz performers, immediately gets you know. And then everyone starts shooting at it. All the yeah, guns come out, which is like so yeah. American South. And uh, and then he has this like adorable, but really sad fear of guns for the rest of his life. Um, I mean, I would say legitimate. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I love Lewis. I think Lewis is great. Lewis is one of the characters we meet in the swamp. But then the other one, which I know, I yeah. believe Nicole liked the most is Ray, uh, voiced by Jim Cummings, who is yeah. Winnie the Pooh. And, yeah. uh, and Ray is the lightning bug slash Bayou Swamp Hick caricature. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's he's got you know sort of raggedy hair and four teeth, and <laughs> I chip my favorite tooth. Talks in his you know his, his very Cajun swamp tang that you associate with the, the what it's was the bad. Cajun chef's name on PBS? I can't remember. <laughs> it's a deep cut. But, <laughs> But I mean, he's is very stereotypical, you know, Cajun. Yeah, kinda. yeah, he is. But he's so the character is so sweet and earnest, and he's just in love with a star. He's and he's in love with a star, which is this sweet romantic thing, which I didn't realize. Okay, so after today, I was doing. I was I was doing my last minute research on this movie and somebody I can't remember where I read it but somebody brought up the idea that given what happens near the end of the movie to Ray and how it's sort of implied that he became a star maybe Evangeline at one point was a real firefly who was in love with who died mind blown and became a star and so his love for her is not this you know pie in the sky thing but like this very real relationship that he had for this lost love and it's and I was just like, oh, my God, that's, that's so sweet. Oh, that is too sweet cute. Sweet time. <laughs> and, and I was thinking about it with this movie. Um, Ray dies. Uh, he gets <sighs> really, really unceremoniously. I, really, I thought, like. I thought he was gonna. What do you mean, unceremoniously? They have a whole funeral. No, for I mean, him I mean, like, I know it's death. a cartoon. You expect, you know, you get stepped. You, the frogs get hit with books twice right. in this thing, and they get squashed oh. flat, and they bounce right back. So you figure, you know, okay, Ray gets stepped on, but you know, it's a cartoon. Yeah, he'll, okay. he'll bounce he'll back. Fine. It'll be fine. Oh no, he's a. Oh look, he's just closing his eyes, taking a nap, and next scene they're gonna. He's gonna wake up, and everything's gonna be okay. And oh, Ray's Ray's dead. Yeah. Now. <laughs> Our, I almost gave it away in the Slack chat. I was like, "No, Ray!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it was it was shocking. It was shock- so. Here's my question: yeah. Is there another Disney or animated children's movie? It's just like cute character you loved 
dead. Because um, that was kind of shocking to me the first like time I saw this. Uh, yeah, really? I, I think that happens quite. Really? I, lo- I know I mentioned to mention this meant to mention this earlier, but Tiana does not escape the the Disney one parent or no parent curse. Yeah, like, even right. her even her parents are. I guess that's she gets fair. To keep her mom, but <laughs> right. not dad. Yeah. Okay. Yep. But it's it's jarring <laughs> that he does get killed, but he turns into a star to be with Evangeline, yes. which is yeah. adorable. Uh, let's talk yeah. about the not one but two magical Negroes. There is uh <laughs> So we have. Yeah, I mean, this is the this is a well worn mm-hmm. trope in literature and TV and film. And there's a really you know, legend really, of Bagger Vance, yeah. uh, you know, the stand, um, you know, magical, the, the green mile, the, uh, you know, Stephen King, I will say Pay that attention, stop doing this stuff. No, I, <laughs> the, the new Aladdin, the, um, the new swamp <laughs> thing, literally. swamp thing yeah. that DC universe is making, which is terrific. It is the best thing DC's done movies or TV in a long time. If you like this, Try Swamp Thing. It's darker and scarier, but still takes place Whoa. in the bayou. Um, Isn't there? Didn't they cancel it after like one episode? Yeah, it's it's complicated. But, we don't yeah, have to yeah do it. it's a financial <laughs> okay, thing, well, not anyway. a quality thing. But I will say that that this is a this, this is a show that you know does a really nice job capturing the bayou and 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 Louisiana, even, even though it wasn't filmed there. And uh, it has its classic like glazed eyes voodoo priestess who's blind and you know does tarot card readings for the locals and like starts like like convulsing when the spirits reach out to her and tell her someone's gonna die they went they went really in on it and uh but i mean you know so you've you've got dr facilier mm -hmm. and i believe facilier just means easy is that right i think so Uh, i'm not sure or something something like i know in spanish facile is easy so, um, I, I believe the idea is, you know, he, it's, could be He's that the he easy takes way. the easy path. Yeah. Or it could also be, you know, Louisiana is also known as the big easy. Um, so that could be another allusion that they've got going in here, but you've got Dr. Facilier as sort of the, the, the evil magic version. You've got mama Odie as the good magic version. She's 197 years old. <laughs> it's implied that she doesn't have to be blind because she's got eyeballs and teeth in a glass in her, in a jar in her house. Yeah, well, she's got, house she's got the, in a tree. <laughs> she's got the uh, the the snake from the Jungle Book. Yeah, she's. Uh, but, I, <laughs> but I mean, the, 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 I, when they had when they showed her eyeballs and teeth in a jar, I was like, oh holy crap i can't believe they have this in a children's movie <laughs> yeah and the, the 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 magical negro thing is very complicated and i think if you want to see just kind of what we're like if you don't quite get what it because when we talk about like in this movie it's very literally magical black person and right in other movies it's typically the you know the one who comes up and has all the advice and uh, has the pearls of wisdom. Yeah, has exactly what, what you need to hear at that exact moment. Key and Peel did a really great sketch. It's called The Magical Negro Fight. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, that's just a, a really great take on it. And also, surprisingly, not another teen movie where Mr. T plays the wise janitor <laughs> uh, playing on that entire trope. It's weird, but funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> um no i love it so yeah i mean this this movie 
it does that, and it, do, it and also it doesn't help that they based her oh. partly on Yoda. Disney, <laughs> yeah, she she's Not half she's little, she's half she's wizened. Well, she's half comedian, um, Mom's Mabley, and half Yoda. Yeah. That's what they based her off of, and lives in a swamp. Well, a combination we didn't know we needed. Uh, <laughs> one one last thing about magical Negro that I think is so interesting is a the term was popularized by Spike Lee. During a lecture denouncing the trope. Oh, so, I, I bet Spike would have a thing or two about this. Lee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, I realized that I just happen to be the person that keeps bringing us like African American or Jamaican things that we're just not qualified to talk about, but we're going to try our best. Um, <laughs> a couple other things here. Well, I mean, I, oh, no, go ahead, Nicole. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I want to make sure we approach these things carefully, but I also don't want to avoid talking about stuff from other cultures and just like let's all just stick to white stuff oh yeah guys you know 100 percent. that's why i bring this stuff anything else because it's outside our experience you know i want to i want to look at different things i want it but i mean just with an awareness and a sensitivity that we are coming at this from very specific privileged perspectives here right so and we need to be you know sensitive and careful in how we do it Absolutely. Yeah. Now, the last trope we'll talk about, and then I have a quick thing at the end here. Um, the Latin lover, mm, Prince Naveen, shows up. Uh, people yeah. people are upset about this for all sorts of reasons. Primarily, like, if you have a black princess, why can't you have a black prince? Why do why does he have to be this? Um, he comes from, I think, what, Maldonia? Like a, a fictional... It's Yeah, a fictional yeah. place that's very vague on what his ethnicity is. Yeah, the actor yeah. is Brazilian. Right. Naveen is an Indian name. Yeah. So I and the character to to me the character looks Indian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. He located, looks kind of Brahmin Indian, sort of lighter skinned. It's located in the east of the sun and west of the moon location. Perfect. Yes. Which is, <laughs> yeah, which is to say, nowhere. <laughs> yeah, and I mean I can see why people are we're upset about it because yes, while Bruno Campos is Brazilian, he is very much white Brazilian. There are Afro Brazilian people and they did not pick an Afro Brazilian person. They chose a very, you know, came over from Portugal a couple hundred years ago. Ancestors, Brazilian guy. I, I, I do think that, Part of this then gets into the same issues that Disney has with things like the mod- like Aladdin this year, which is like, we're trying people. We're just not where you want us to be yet. Um, and they can always do better. And we should all always do better. But I think Disney tried with this. Um, yes, I would. I would like to. I'm glad they tried. I'm. It's a step in the right direction. I think just me and a lot of other people would like to see them reach a little further. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and I think this was a step in the right direction. And I hopefully we'll get many more, you know, uh, Disney princesses and all the good stuff of, you know, so many different ethnicities and cultures. And we'll get more of that. Um, I wanted to give a couple really quick rapid fire fun facts about this movie that I thought were interesting straight from Disney. Um, so the director took Oprah to Disneyland to pitch her this movie. <laughs> uh, not, not, they didn't say like, hey, Oprah, we're taking you to Disneyland to pitch you a movie. They said, hey, Oprah, we're going to Disneyland and then told her at Disneyland. Um, so she was really into that. Uh, now, now, Oprah, now that we have you trapped here in our facility. Now that you can't <laughs> leave Space Mountain. Um, yeah. 
now that so we're weird, stuck on ride, Space Mountain. Yeah, so weird, the ride just broke down while I have you here. Which <laughs> yeah, is, we want uh, to ask you all about your blackness and tap your expertise <laughs> about it. So Hold your lines right here. So, uh, all the women uh, that are fawning over Prince Naveen when he gets off the boat in New Orleans are all uh, caricatures of women who were working on animating this movie. They put themselves in it. Uh, so Annika uh, Nani Rose who plays um, Tiana asks that Tiana both be left handed and have her dimples so that they kind of you know imbued some of her personal likeness into Tiana she's also left handed Uh, the interlude that Nicole was talking about earlier my friends on the other side where um, uh, this shadow man's doing this really elaborate dance with all of his scary little voodoo friends. Uh, that is an homage to Dick Van Dyke's dance in, with the penguins in Mary Poppins. It's very similar when you compare them side by side. Um, that, oh, Archie Danza. That seems like a reach to me. <laughs> no, like when you see, when there's a shot when they're all like, like flanking him and he's like kicking his legs back and forth. It looks just like it. Um, huh. Not the whole oh. thing, just that segment of the dance. Um, okay. Achidanza, which Naveen keeps saying over and over in the made-up language of uh, Maldonian, means cool, apparently. And uh, a couple other quick ones. Uh, Lewis was originally supposed to be a human that couldn't play instruments but really wanted to. So the Shadow Man gave him the ability to play a trumpet, but also turned him into an alligator. But they decided oh. that it was too confusing ah. and skipped it. I'm bummed they skipped that. I think that would have been cool. Yeah, me no, too. I, that's kind of the whole thesis of it. It's like he gives you what you want, but takes away what you have, which is apparently turning you into an animal. Right. <laughs> that's all he can really do. Um, and then a couple other very brief ones. Uh, Nicole is right. Dr. F- F- Facilier, is that how you say it? Dr. Facilier. Uh, is, is derived from the French word facile, which means easy. The idea was that he would lure people in under the guise of giving them what they want with ease without them having to earn it the old-fashioned way. Uh, the birds flying around the uh, the uh, cathedral in New Orleans were actually lifted straight from the Lion King. They actually used an existing animation of birds as an homage to the Lion King. Uh, no, no, that's that's called saving. That's also and called time. saving money and time, <laughs> which Disney is no stranger to. They have reused a mm. lot of things, uh, but that is yes. one of them. So those are some fun facts I had uh, to kind of close. I want to say that I think this is a classic for the right audience. I think that if you are, if you, and and I realize that almost defeats the point of calling it a classic, and, and I know it's not going to be a classic Disney movie, but I do think that this will hold a very special place for a lot of people, which could make it a classic in that sense. But I'll I'll open I, it up I, to the floor. I think with with um, Disney Plus coming, it will have a much bigger audience than it would if it just continued to exist on its own. Uh, I have a hard pressing. This could this can be mm-hmm. a classic in a wide sense, but I definitely think that it is still a Disney movie, and for that reason <laughs> alone, uh, people are going to always hold it in a special place. And Nicole, I think it's going to be. I, I think you're right, Brett. In it, I think it's going to be sort of a, a niche classic. I think it's not going to be held in held universally in high regard, but there's going to be a segment of the population that is going to adore this movie and cherish it and keep it going. 
um, and show it to their children and, you know, it will be important to them. And that is, I think that's a good thing. Um, I definitely want to mention uh, Jennifer Williams voices, not Jen- is it Jennifer Williams voices Mama Odie? I believe so. Yes. I just yeah, she is also a Broadway actress and she's doing an amazing job because she is not a 197 year old woman, <laughs> but she does an awesome job of not only sounding super old, but singing in the super old voice yeah. mm-hmm. in a very broad range. Um, so she's doing a good job. Uh, d- you know, shout out to Keith David doing Ooh, an amazing We didn't even talk about that. Yeah. Not enough Keith David. Killing it. <laughs> um, loved Jim Williams, who is, a, you know, Disney staple. He's, like you said, Brett, he's been voicing Winnie the Pooh and Tigger since like 1988, yep. since um, Sterling and, Holloway died. And he's Pete, uh, Goofy's friend slash enemy. <laughs> love it um so i mean yeah i mean there's there's some wonderful work being done here i think it's a really i think it's a good movie i think disney had its the directors and writers had their hearts in the right place i think they're trying to make step take steps in the right direction so i'm a i'm a little concerned about what seemed like the central message of this movie which was like work super hard at two jobs for years for your dreams but be ready to chuck it in the swamp for a man because <laughs> like doesn't she keep him from kissing charlotte in time no it was it, it had already passed it already passed so one yeah, thing i will they say were going to kiss in time had passed is, yeah. is i i mm-hmm. i think I thought she delayed him critically. No, she saw she saw that he was still going to help her, and she was like, "Oh, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he's doing it for me." Yeah, no, I, I hear where you're coming from, Nicole. I my response to that, I think, is that, and I understand how it comes off that way, is that Prince Naveen is still broke when they, you know, be when they're humans again. And it still has to be her hard work and her perseverance that gets her this restaurant. Um, you know, with a little help from Lewis the alligator, she's able to convince the, you know, the real estate agency that took the building away from her to give it back to her, uh, with the money she had already earned. So I think there's an argument to be made, like, she's still on that path, you know, of, of, she's making it for herself. It's just now she has a companion. But I, again, I think, uh, I think, so yeah. the lesson is not that you need a man is that you need an alligator. Maybe. <laughs> no, I, I totally see where you're coming from Nicole though. And that's, that's a very valid criticism. Yeah. I don't, maybe I'm more sensitive to this because, because I'm female. And yeah, this is 100%. sort of like the message that we get bombarded with constantly. Totally. Which is, you know, that's great that you have a dream and all, but Gosh, you're alone. Isn't that a shame? (laughs) No, I think you're totally right. Yeah, I I definitely think I can see how you can definitely pull that criticism. I think the movie had established the whole time she was going to pursue that dream, whether or not there was a man there. And it does does seem a little bit of like, well, now she can finally figure it out because there's a man there. Yeah. Um, Which I think like that's that's totally a fair way to to say like, yeah, you could have been a little more explicit in saying this is still her figuring it out. And he's just there. Though I do like. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It would have been nice if she'd been like, "Yeah, yeah, I love you," and I'll hurry up and kiss her so we can get. To right. <laughs> and I'll, but also, I will say her. <laughs> so we can turn human again. Her dream. Get your button here. When we finally see Tiana's the restaurant come to fruition at the very end of the movie, um, 
her dream doesn't change. It doesn't become Tiana's and Naveen's. You know, he's waiting tables. Yeah. He's he, he's not owning it with her. He's not running it with her. I mean, he's kind of running it with her. because. Yes. But you know what I mean? Like, he's waiting tables for her. Um, right. But she changes it from Tiana's place to Tiana's palace. That's true. That is true. And it looks like a riverboat. That's true. Because well, now she's a princess. There yes. you go. That is true. That is she, now, now she's a princess. Also, I think that they probably got into more money because... His family cut him off of his money, which they establish in the movie, but then also his family is at their human wedding. So you got to wonder if maybe they were able to dip back in the pocketbook. So (laughs) I don't know. Uh, No, point well made. I remember being a little confused. I'm like, who's that dude with Tiana's mom? (laughs) No, point. Is that like her new stepdaddy? What is that? Who's that guy? No, point very well made. But it turns out to be Naveen's father. Right. so. So, uh, now what I want to do at the end of the show, it's something we haven't really done before, or we've done sporadically, is uh, you can reach out to us at hi at mgrpodcast.com, or you can comment on our Facebook or our Twitter. We'll get into those in a moment. But I do want to read some responses that we got from an episode recently released on Scott Pilgrim versus the World. That was episode 68. A little while in the past now. But uh, I want to first... Well, we do... It's not 68, isn't it? Like 70? Nope, 68. Um, <laughs> it says 68 in the wait. podcatcher. Okay. All yeah, right. we're at 68. I'm trust you. So uh, okay. the Goat Cheese Sage on Reddit uh, said, I'm making a definitive statement, which I try not to do, but I think to be considered a classic in the eyes of most filmmakers, this was another future classic, I add editorially, uh, most filmmakers, audience, artists, it's got to do something or take a fresh or have a fresh take on some aspect or element of the film. I love Scott Pilgrim, but it doesn't really do that. Not the writing, setting, characters, music, cinematography, none of that. Not harping, just clarifying. It's easily a cult classic, though. It's mostly loved by its fans, but it was in no way a disappointing movie that I can discern. It had a good cast, and it was well executed. It's light and fluffy enough to have a lot of replay value, and I guess time will tell if the comedy age as well. It captures much of the spirit and tone that the graphic novels endeared themselves with, albeit with slight differences based on this or that. But overall, I thought it was worthy uh, thing in light of the source material. Thank you, Goat Cheese Sage. Great name. Uh, also on Facebook, Corey says, uh, what I think I remember when this came out was that people were saying that Michael Sarah was playing the same character and everything, and he was overexposed at the time, so they skipped it. I think he was really good in this part. We talked about that. Totally agree. Uh, couple others we have phil on facebook notice how some of these people have been on the show it's okay we love them anyway uh this falls into the category of movies with john wick the mummy matchstick man and anything that stars Dwayne the rock johnson and that these are well made uh good movies that just flat miss the mark with me i can't complain about most of them they're good movies and i'm even entertained by them but people love these movies in a way i just don't get i think these movies have a very specific target audience and i live just outside of that bullseye. And then finally, Matthew on Facebook, for years, a friend and I had an annual Canada Day viewing of this movie. Thank you for writing in, all of you. Again, hi at mgrpodcast.com, and we will read couple episodes in the future we know we record well ahead of time or our facebook or twitter just search movie go round david where can people find you online you can find me around the internet under the username davluz that is d-a-v-l-u-z so twitter and instagram you can find me there also on the brokebot mountain podcast very good check it out brokebot mountain you can search that on all your podcatchers as well nicole davis where are you at 
uh nicole underscore davis on letterboxd and i take care of our facebook page facebook.com slash movie go round podcast and you know interact with us you will now you will be rewarded (laughs) (laughs) that's right we might read your comment on a future episode that is right uh and you can find me on twitter at i am brett stewart you can find all of these links we just mentioned i know there's three of us and we drop a lot of links social.mgr podcast.com that's going to have facebook the twitter the website all three of us on twitter and all that good stuff you'll find it there next week again david we are watching kung fu hustle kung fu hustle it's currently streaming on netflix for around the world we'll see you then